Amos 5.24 declares, But let justice run down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream flowing abundantly. Welcome to our eighth episode in Season 3 of Iona Speaks about Defending Self-Justice, a platform used for us as women to hear how we can walk in our dominion through the power of voice and the strength of awareness. May this podcast bring hope through enlightenment for every listener on their journey to self-justice in Jesus' name. During this season, we have discussed generational impact, historical influencers, the impact of forgiveness, the essence of our heritage, being a defender of self-justice as a child of God, and pride, humility, and trauma. How many times have you heard the statement, children are our future? I have heard it and said it countless times. It is such a powerful statement that it has been sung to millions, possibly billions, in the greatest love of all. A classic song that was originally written by Michael Maser and Linda Creed and recorded originally by George Benson in 1977. However, I believe most listeners will know this song being beautifully rendered through the powerful and dynamic voice of Whitney Houston. Therefore, in this podcast, we will be speaking about the importance of children thriving and learning how to nurture, support, and execute this thriving because they are not just our future, but they are also our now. To join me in this discussion, I am honored and fortunate to have as my guest, Darina Williamson. Darina is a preacher's kid, first lady, and longtime bridge builder. In 1995, she and her husband planned, planted, a multiracial strong tower Bible church in Nashville, Tennessee. Darina loves the power of a good story, and she writes children's books that are adult, that adults need too. She is the author of several books, such as Colorful, Thoughtful, Graceful, A Celebration Place, Crowned with Glory, The Story of Juneteenth, and now her new released book, Brown Baby Jesus. Her writings have been featured in Christianity Today, Crosswalk, and Barna. This best-selling author is a mother of four who is passionate about planting seeds of truth for the next generation. Darina lives with her family in Franklin, Tennessee, and I now would like to welcome you, Darina, to Iona Speaks about defending self-justice. Thank you so much for having me, Iona. So I just wanna get right into it. You have written some wonderful books, and I've had the opportunity to at least read two of them, your newly released one, Brown Baby Jesus, which we'll be talking about today, and also The Celebration Place. And what's been so great about that is I've read them, but my son, who's 10 years old, has also read them to me. So I've read them by myself, but then I've let him read it so that we can discuss it. And I know that you've you know, written other books such as you know, Crowned with Glory and The Story of Juneteenth. How have you been a bridge builder? to help children thrive in reading your books? Well, this is such 
a holy and humble calling because I have the opportunity through my books to shape the hearts and the minds of children. Mm. And when I look at the ministry of Jesus on earth, it's very clear that he loved children. It's very clear that we see in the Gospels that he would center children when his disciples argued about greatness, which was more than once, right? He would bring a child in their midst and say, the greatest in the kingdom needs to be like this child. And so I like to say to people that I'm writing for the greatest. I'm writing for the children who are the greatest in the kingdom of God. And so to put books into the world that helps to inform them, which is a wonderful purpose behind the beauty of literacy that children can learn things. They can see things that are outside of the perspectives that they've had. It can give them a new worldview. Children can literally go on a journey through a book and not leave their home, which is beautiful. And so my hope with the stories that I put out in the world is that children and parents, and when I say children, I mean children of all ages, because I have toddlers who aren't reading yet who touch my book, Colorful, the first one I put out. The the cover features um, some children and bubbles. And several parents have said, my child calls this the bubbles book. And and just a hint for your listeners, the book isn't really about bubbles, but it, it incorporates bubbles as one of the many things that the children in the book find beauty of color in as a setup for talking about the beauty in our skin color. But a young child who's not reading words yet sees bubbles and is drawn to the book, right? So, you know, the opportunity to shape those young ones who aren't reading, who are being read to who are going to pick up a book over and over because they're drawn to something on the cover. But then to capture, you know, older children, even your son's age, who may be out of picture books and into, you know, more advanced reading levels, but who, like adults, might also gain inspiration and encouragement from the images and the words that they read in my stories. And so it's humbling to think that I can shape the hearts and minds of children, but it's something that I keep in my mind as I craft stories. Wow, that is beautiful. I mean, I love the the piece as far as you're taking children on a journey as well as their caregivers, their parents, and they're all going on to a dish and a new journey because everyone has their own journey that they have to go on. But this is these books are helping them expand their mindsets and even the landscape and how they would think differently. Um, I loved how you also said that you're writing for the greatest. Um, And I can see that two ways. You're writing for the greatest because we serve the greatest. And you're writing for the greatest for the children who are seen to be in the eyes of Jesus, the greatest. So that's a lovely thing. I, I, I enjoy that. And, you know, when we talk about children who are thriving and they need to get there, um, In your new book, Brown Baby Jesus, how did that come about of you beginning to incorporate this story, a well-known story to all of us, the birth of Jesus, but how did you want to craft that so that the children could get the benefit of it and their caregivers? Well, giving a little bit of a spoiler, or maybe it's not a spoiler because people can go click on Amazon or click on my website and see the cover of Brown Baby Jesus. But 
It indeed features a brown Jesus. Um, so as a very stark alternative to the very white Jesus that certainly you and I, you know, would have grown up seeing. That's all that we saw today. You know, I'm grateful that children's books about the Bible um, written both by, you know, black authors and authors of color and white authors. I've, I've seen um, Jesus has, has more melanin. And so we're grateful for that because that's, I believe, more historically accurate to um, the time in which he lived and the place that he lived in. Um and to the biblical narrative. But I wanted this book to not only feature a brown Jesus, but even more importantly, show children that Jesus came from a family full of people of color and people with all sorts of stories. All backgrounds are represented in the people in Jesus's family tree. And that's just like our family's our family trees as well, our family's generational stories. And when I think about how people of color, particularly um, Black Americans, people who have African descent, have often felt that we were not included in the biblical narrative to the point that Christianity has sometimes been labeled a white man's religion. Because it's almost like, okay, God is white, Jesus is white, the angels are white, everybody in the Bible is white, and somehow maybe a few of us get to be a guest in, but it's really excluding to right. us. Right. When in fact, when you begin to really dive in and understand, you know, historically and just plainly what scripture teaches us, we've just not all been taught well, you understand that God invited just people of different races and cultures into the biblical story, the people that he used. And so my heart with this book is, is, you know, first for people who look like me, because I'm thinking of my own children, I'm thinking of my family, mm-hmm. um, which is growing, by the way, multi, you know, as to be more multiracial, but um, in a way of saying those who have not always been invited and been a part of, I want to graciously say, yes, you are a part of, and you actually get to be featured. So in my books, you see a mirror of your beauty, a reflection mm-hmm. of God's image that you bear. But then also for all people to see a new lens of the Jesus that we love and the Jesus that we know. And as you said, the familiar Christmas story just set in a very unique way. Right. And still in a historical and biblical way. Yes. You know, the, the scriptures, I love how you unfold it. And, um, you know, you take, a, you take the family tree and you unfold it and put it in the covers. So even though you talk about it in the midst of the book, you put it in the covers so that you can go back. Because as my son was reading it and he went back and he said, well, wait a minute. When was Adam and Eve a part of Jesus's life? I said, well, all creation came from Adam and Eve. <laughs> so um, it's like, huh, so we're all, I don't get that. I don't get that. I said, well, we'll keep walking about it. We'll keep talking about it. But yes, yes, all yes. creation came from God and Adam and Eve. So I love yes. that was actually put in there and highlighted. And I have to say, Dorena, this is bold. You know, you, you stood in a place of boldness and accuracy. Um, of even uh, 
you know, saying to yourself, I want to make sure that I'm telling a story that is historically and biblically accurate and even depicting the images in an accurate way. Um, because, you know, we know that the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, that was in Egypt. So we know that, you know, it's in Africa. We started from there. And, you know, we know that the hue and the sun, yes, it's going to give us some color. And the fact about how God created all the nations came out. So therefore, it's so interesting to know that we weren't talking about this as much as we're talking about it now. We should have been talking about this like decades ago. Yes. Centuries, centuries ago. And it's like, where was that mindset that said it was only one color had to be all throughout all ethnicities, every single person, every single gender, every single nationality. It's like, well, that's not what God created. He, he was really clear even when he talked about Noah. <laughs> so he had three different sons of three different nationalities. So, and they all look different. So I loved when you said, as you talked about it through the story of seeing that whole genealogical, how you interwove it um, into the story, and then you made sure you put them as bookends within the book as well. So I just want to say thank you for that, because that was phenomenal. And I just want to ask you, you know, what took you to the place to be so bold to tell the story this way? Because this is bold. Well, thank you for saying that. And also, thank you to for sharing your son's, you know, musings about the story. And I'm really happy to hear that he was critically thinking about, wait, Adam and Eve, how are they connected? And, and to speak to the boldness, that was part of the painstaking research and, um, you know, commentary surfing, or, or I probably shouldn't say commentary surfing, but diving into commentaries. Let's, let's, let's put it that way. I mean, there are many days as I was crafting this manuscript and then going back over it, you know, with, you know, um, you know, edits and reflections and, and, um, you know, things that my editor or another member of the team might say, okay, how about this? And let's check this. You know, there was a lot of effort, even with the illustrator to ensure that our depiction of first century Egypt was historically accurate because so often we might approach something from our Western lens and even down to things like what would baby Jesus have been wearing? You know, I'm saying baby Jesus, but, you know, in the book, we start off and it, the book is set in Egypt. So that's an important context that I like to share for your listeners um, that, you know, this book is set in Egypt. So as you mentioned, it's not just the manger and the stable the night that Jesus was born. And, you know, our quintessential nativity sets where we not only have the manger and Mary and Joseph, but we got the wise men, the shepherds are all there somehow at the same time. And that's not biblically accurate either. But, you know, we kind of want to boil it down to that one moment and go, ooh, ah, when in fact, you know, Jesus' story is not just more extensive than that one night, but his story has an incredible backstory that as your son asked about starts with Adam and Eve and humanity being made in God's image. And so that was part of, you know, what I wanted to create. So to be bold and to say, Let's enlarge the story. Let's expand it. Let's take children and readers of all ages on a journey before Jesus was born to look at 
God's intentionality with humanity and the people that he designed in that story that led up to Jesus, because I believe that God makes no mistakes. And so the people and the places that he designed as part of Jesus's story are there for a purpose. And as we begin to unwrap that, for some, this book will be an introduction to characters that they may never have considered. And if my boldness to say, I'm going to do something unique, I'm going to do something that's not been done before, and praise God for a publisher who was willing to partner with me and say, yes, we support this. We're excited to put this out into the world. If it gets people to ask questions like your son did, to Mm want to go do more Bible study and more flipping through the pages of scripture, glory to God that it draws people in. If they go, wait, who's Rahab? And they go and read her story and see how a woman who was a prostitute in a foreign land somehow put her faith in a God she didn't know much about and was willing to cooperate with the spies so that she and her family could be saved from destruction. And then because of her faith was invited to be a part of God's people and a grandmother in Jesus's story. Like the story's completely amazing, but that's the kind of stories that God has written all through time. So um, thank you for for sharing that. And, and my prayer is, you know, that that boldness, which was a very calculated step, that God would use that to draw people back to the word and um, hopefully draw them to a curiosity about who these people are and, um, you know, most importantly, the wonder of, of a God who came to save us all. That was so rich in everything you just said. And it, just to pull out a couple of those points, um, you know, I loved how you said how humanity, this book is showing how humanity was being created in God's image. And so just to even give another bite, the fact that um, Brown Baby Jesus is Brown Baby Jesus on the cover. And so when my son looked at the book, he said, oh, so Jesus looks like me. And I said, yes, because you were made in God's image. So therefore, in his image and likeness, it's good for you now to look and see that another piece, Jesus, does look like you. And I thought that was so powerful when he said it. And he was smiling and he was excited. Um, because the images that we used to see of Jesus, um, you know, I grew up in the seventies and, you know, in my grandparents' home, you know, there's the big picture of Jesus. Jesus is, um, you know, pale colored and blue eyes with long hair. And yet, you know, when you think about where Jesus was born and it's like, well, no, he's, you know, they say he's got, you know, darker colored and, um, so where's the darker color? And it's so... The, the, be, the being able to have that visual depiction is huge because yes. we were created in God's image. Yes. And yes. I've heard that so many times. And one of the things we, we tell our son is you were created in God's image and his likeness, just as your, um, your friend who is from Japanese culture and ethnicity was created in God's image and his likeness, just as your friend um, who is you know, Caucasian, and she was created in God's image and own likeness. So that means 
we really can't. God's image is multicultural. Yes. Multi-ethnic. It's not just one. So, you know, you stepped out by being a defender yourself of recognizing what you needed to do through God's eyes of saying, this is what I want Darina to share. This is how I want her to share it. And so being a defender of self-justice, we always say on this podcast, it's not primarily focused on the judiciary system. We do talk sometimes about the judiciary system, but it's more so focusing on what do you do as an individual? How do you actually maintain that purpose and that functionality of what God is saying for you to do? How are you standing in that creativeness of being in his own image and his likeness? And you have just done that with being the author of this book and, of course, your other books as well. But we're focusing on Brown Baby Jesus right now. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. I so appreciate that. And I received that because that is absolutely why I'm, again, as I said at the beginning, humbled and grateful. You know, this is a calling that found me. I didn't sit down one day with this great idea of, I'm going to write a children's book. God sought me out and planted these seeds in my heart. And so I keep going back to the origin of all of this is from Him. Yeah. And I don't, I don't say that lightly. You know, He equips me to do the work, and I have to depend on Him to, especially approaching a book with the title Brown Baby Jesus. Hello? I'm not just writing about something I looked outside and saw and observed with my lenses. Like it's it's holy to to write a book about my savior, you know, and I don't want to get it wrong. And how can I just jump into this and oh, I've got a creative thought and I'm just gonna do this thing. You know, like I am giving people a new image, one that could be very controversial for sure, but mm-hmm. I pray that is also healing and that is um sharing the power of the gospel in the form of a children's book. So thank, thank you for sharing that. That really encourages me. Absolutely. I mean, you know, in Romans, we are to not be confirmed. Uh, We are not to be conformed (laughs) to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds, which is an activity thing. It's an action. So it's the renewal has to take place consistently. It's over and over again. And this is a book that can allow for that transformation to take place. Um, And so, you know, I also loved how you spoke in the book about um, Jesus, his lineage and coming from all these different places, Um, you know, having the peace of Moses. And when you talked about Rahab, you know, in one of the things in my um, of the professional career is that I have the opportunity to work with individuals who have uh, been uh, suffering um, and have been um, being able to come into an awareness of themselves to know that as they've been victimized through um, a horrendous crime of sexual trafficking, uh, that this was not their, this was not their stop. This was not what they were supposed to be doing. And greatness comes from them because Rahab also was trafficked in the term that we would use today. Rahab was in slavery. Rahab was in bondage. And yet God said, I choose this woman for the seed of Jesus, the most holy person to come through so that 
the earth can actually see and know I'm going to use anybody. Yes. And so with that, how do your books help children um, become defenders of self-justice for themselves? Mm. I'm so full listening to you talk and connect the work that you do with the story of Rahab. And I think to just stay in that vein, my prayer is that as children read this book in the young years of their lives, um, read to them, and they maybe pick it up the next year and they know more words and maybe years down the road, they may go back to it and remember, oh, this is a book that I read when I was a child or this book was a part of our family tradition. You know, I, I pray that it is something that will be a treasured family story to pick up and to enjoy year after year. Uh, I hope that it says first to our brown and black children that you are a reflection of the image of God as every human is. You bear the image of God with the beautiful melanated skin that God decided was right for you. Mm. Because they have not heard that message enough and they can't hear that message too much in a world where the air around them is going to begin to throw those seeds of inferiority um, that Dr. King so eloquently discussed as he saw, you know, that dark cloud of inferiority forming on his oldest daughter, you know, Yolanda, when he was sharing about why she couldn't go to their, you know, the museum fun town that was the, the place that children loved in their day. And, and as he had to unpack to her, you know, little black children can't attend there. And he, he talked about how those dark clouds of inferiority started to form in her mind and it broke his heart as a father and no doubt fueled his work of justice so that that would not be a barrier for children in times to come. And where, yes, today our children may not have some of those barriers in terms of civil rights, um, in terms of not having equal access, we do know that there are other barriers that are always going to be around. And some of those barriers are just mental barriers that are thrown at them, that come at them from microaggressions, from from teachers, from educators, from um, their friends, from society, um, sometimes even from their houses of faith and their community. So I hope that this book will speak to children who look like me, that it will be a reminder for them that you are made in the image of God. And as your son looked at the book at 10 years old and said, so Jesus looks like me. Absolutely. He is a personal savior. And yes, he looks like you. And what Jesus looks like is not, you know, and I don't say this as a contradiction to my book, but Certainly, um, what he looked like is not um, the reason that he is for you, you know, because Jesus has been weaponized. And so I don't intend at all to to co-opt into that. Mm. But I certainly want our children of all races and ages to know that Jesus is for them. Yeah. And that sharing Jesus' story in a more expansive way and including the Rahabs and the Ruths and the Tamars um, and the Bathshebas, women with very difficult life stories, women who were in mourning. Mm -hmm. You know, you think of, of uh, Ruth and of Tamar and of Bathsheba, all women who were widowed, yeah. women who grieved deeply. Um, in Tamar's case, a woman who was mistreated. 
where justice was denied to her. Her rights were not given to her and she took it into her own hands. And I would invite people to go and read her story and their eyebrow, if they aren't familiar with Tamar, they may have a little bit of an eyebrow raising, but it's in the Bible. And God included this so that today, children who might go through a season where there are things that are denied to them or there's justice that they don't get, things are not always right in this world. And I think we get to, enter into these stories and see that even in mourning that God invites us in. And so in seeing the the people, the Abraham and Sarah's who were old and given a promise that seemed absolutely impossible from a human standpoint, and yet God fulfilled that promise through Jesus. Yeah. So I hope that in seeing these stories that they see the justice and the love of a God who delivers, who saves us, that that is weaved through the story and that they capture that and find themselves in that flow as well. I love that. The God who delivers and saves um, because of the fact that they can see it from their own, their own eyesight, their own developmental understanding, but he's delivering them and he's saving them no matter what the world says, no matter what the world um, tries to have them represent or be represented as, he is a deliverer and a savior. And you talk about the women, the women who felt abandoned, women who felt discarded, women who felt unloved, women who felt unprotected by family and um others who were supposed to be protecting them. And so uh, Tamar is a wonderful story and a very powerful story to share about how someone can rise up and actually be a defender of self-justice in the midst of trauma and pain and mourning and discarding. Um, so, you know, as this most of the listeners who listen to this are mothers and women. Um, you know, I, I go to this, uh, to this poem, Khalil Gibran, who's a Lebanese writer. And he's been, I referenced him in season two um, because he wrote this book of poems, um, which is actually, you know, a best-selling masterpiece. And it just has wonderful um, stories in it. And um, it's entitled The Prophet. One of the poems in uh, this book is called On Children. And what he said, um, his quote is, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. I think that quote is so powerful. <laughs> And I love it because it also talks about the essence of God's love and that he gives us sons and daughters to partner with him as parents and caregivers to care for them. And we might not always get it right because we're not perfect, yet his love is perfect through us so that we can move and through challenges, we can set some type of guidepost for them. So, although the majority of those whose ears are attentive listeners to this podcast 
have not had that opportunity maybe to personally interact with Khalil Gibran, his statement is undeniably profound. And I do believe it was prophetic. Um, I don't know if he was a believer of Christ because I never met him. And all the research that I've done, it doesn't say. Yet I know his writings do resonate. And as a mother, I pray for my children daily, um, regardless of their age. And I want to speak life into the atmosphere for them and other children of this world so that they can know that they're worth and they're able to excel in their voice and they're able to live God's dreams for them. Because they are not just our future, they are our now. And, you know, I think when, when God shared that to me of recognizing that we need to cultivate what we have been given a little bit better for the future. So we focus in a little bit more on the now because God has individually breathed life into each child as he created them in his image and his likeness because they belong to him. Even though they came through us as mothers and we bore those nine months, they still 100% belong to him. And as women and mothers, we have that unique responsibility to use our gifts that perpetrate perpetuate, not perpetrate, perpetuate the gifts of our children so that they can flourish in spite of circumstances and situations to live a life of abundance as defenders of self-justice. So I just want to say thank you, Darina, for sharing your gift as a bridge builder, as an influencer, with so much depth and knowledge and being such a resource and for joining me in this Paramount conversation. So I just want to ask another question of you is, you know, what words would you like to share with our listeners about the necessity for children to thrive? I would just piggyback on the beautiful words that you said about praying for them and, and wanting them to know their worth and, um, live out God's dreams for them. One of the things I have learned in my journey of parenting, and you know, my children are now. My youngest is eighteen. She is, you know, as we're recording this, she is uh, on her virtual class, you know, in the other room because she's a, a community college um, student, and uh, you know, this one day of the week is her day to have the virtual class at home, uh, but. For my children now, too, being married and out out of our home and in their own, you know, families now, and and a, a college graduate who's at home and a gap year, and then a community college student, you know, it continues to be important to me that my children know their worth as image bearers, mm-hmm. and that they know that your mom is going to be for you. Does that mean that they're always going to do the things that I believe they should do? No. And I've realized at their ages and having been a parent now for a couple of years um, that not only are my children not robots for me to control their every move, even when they were young enough that everything they did in life was basically what I managed, you know, the 
they didn't go anywhere or eat anything that wasn't prepared or orchestrated by me, you know, in those younger years, you know, and then they get older and they spend more time away from home, whether that's, you know, their formative schooling years or for some children, you know, not until they go to college, but, um, you know, they do their own laundry and they're, they're driving and they're making decisions about working and, um, and, you know, getting married and, and, and building families. And so I, it continues to be important to me that even my children as adults now, Mm-hmm. That they hear from me words that affirm their worth in the image of God, and that their worth is not connected only to what they do. And that has to start young because young children will think if they didn't win the contest that they are worth less. Right. Or if they didn't, you know, make a certain grade that their worth is less than those who did or a score on, you know, the the achievement test or getting into college or dating, you know, a particular individual or a relationship not working out and being rejected and all there's so much that's going to come at them starting when they're young that continues mm. when our adult children call us and need those reminders of their worth. I want them to hear that from my mouth. I want them to hear that from me as an echo of God speaking that over them. So I don't confuse my role and think that I am speaking as God. And I think as mothers, we have to make sure that we check ourselves. We don't always know what's best. Sometimes our children need to hear us say, you know, I don't really have good advice for you on that, but I'm going to be praying for you that God will guide you and that he will lead you. Or maybe I think of, hey, why don't you call so-and-so? Or I think so-and-so might be a great resource. Why don't I connect you with them? Um, so being humble enough to acknowledge when I don't know, um, but but that my children hear words of God's worth to them echoed from me, I think is so important. And I would just encourage us when it would be so easy to sometimes, you know, come down on our children or even when we have to correct them. And that's part of being a parent. It's not just always lifting them up and all the happy, but sometimes we have to correct. We have to challenge. We have to discipline. Um, there are hard places as a parent. Some of us you know, have experienced or will experience children who go astray or who make heartbreaking decisions. I don't think that's spoken of enough. And I don't want those who are walking through that to feel like they as parents are worth less because they may be in a really hard season, you know, where their child's choices are um, are not um, ones that they have raised them up to do or ones that are pleasing to God or even ones that are lawful, you know, children who are walking through incarceration or what what have you. Um, but we have a choice as mothers, as parents, as caregivers, that we speak those words of life, even when we have to discipline and correct. And so I would just encourage us to make the choices to speak God's truth over them so that when the lies come from all the other places, that maybe the things we've spoken to them drives them back to the heart of a God who loves them um, unfailingly as he loves us. Yeah, so true. Speak God's truth over their lives. Yes. And allow them to be image bearers in this lifetime. Darina, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I, I mean, I wish we could have more time and we definitely could have more time to talk about this. This has been wonderful. Please give our listeners um, how they can get connected to you to purchase this book and also see your other um, your other books and publications. Well, the easiest way is for listeners to go to my website, DarinaWilliamson.com, 
And there are links to all the books. And there's also additional information. There's, of course, you know, some cute pictures of kiddos with the books <laughs> and book trailers um, and such. But, um, you know, images are very important. And I love when people tag me and post and pictures. So I'd also love people to follow me. I'm, I'm most active on Instagram. Um so on Instagram at Darina Williamson, but I'm also on Facebook and I'm occasionally on Twitter. I pop one, but that's I'm not super active on Twitter. But uh, yes, please reach out. I love receiving messages from folks. Um, if the book has encouraged them or if they have some some thoughts or even um, the responses from children, as you've shared, you know, that's such a treasure for me. And it's a beautiful takeaway from our conversation today. So thanks for sharing that with me. But I love to connect with people. Um, I do travel, you know, of course, we're still kind of walking through and figuring out this pandemic season. But, you know, I do try to exercise care with that. But I love to be invited in, in person or even virtually to classrooms or, um, you know, church, uh, you know, ministry opportunities. So would love to connect um, if there's a way that I can serve in that as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Darina. As we conclude this episode, I trust that every woman and mother listening be empowered to walk in your dominion as you realize that there is value in your life through all of your experiences so that you can become the defenders of self-justice for yourselves and help your children become defenders of self-justice for themselves. Thank you for listening to another episode of Iona Speaks about defending self-justice and have a prosperous and powerful week.